that's the one thing I've learned and I've learned more and more every day, which I'd spent more time in this young, when I was younger in my career is um, the difficult conversations, any conversation in people are such a big part of this job. This job is all about people. Yes. Whether it's the people we protect or the people we work with, it's all about people. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Courtney Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, this is Weekly Scrap number 53 with special guest Dave LeBlanc. He has 35 years, and that's me doing uh, guerrilla firefighter math from kind of reading different bios and stuff of but 35 years of being involved in the fire service in some way, shape, or fashion. He is an author that ran, um, wrote a lot of my favorite articles, especially when I promoted to a company officer uh, the view from the front seat um, on the Backstep Firefighter blog, and I love those. They had a profound impact on me as a young officer. Uh, brother, it is my pleasure to have you as a guest on Weekly Scrap number 53. Welcome, Dave LeBlanc. It's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invite and uh... – you know, anytime we get an opportunity to talk like this and just share views and everything else, it's great. So I'll, you know, I'll get more out of this than you will, and probably more than everybody in the audience will. So, but uh, no, I, I'm glad to be here. Very excited, man. I am very excited. Just from the email you sent me earlier, there is so much in there. And then the text messages we've exchanged, we prepared for this. I'm super excited. Greg Wyant has chimed in and said, Evening Chief, which is perfect for me telling everybody out there um, if you have questions or comments. For myself, and especially for Chief Dave LeBlanc, please do not hesitate to put them in there. We would love to field those questions. So as we go through, if you think of stuff, throw them in the comments, and I will definitely read them. So with all of that out of the way, did I forget anything in the intro or anything you want to add? No, it's, um, you know, I, I was I was blessed at an early age to, uh, I grew up next door to a fireman and started going to fires really early with him. Uh, whenever those he, they responded in off duty, I'd grab a camera and go and, that started a passion of buffing. And so I was always watching and then just learned and overcame some health obstacles to, uh, to eventually come out of dispatch and become a full-time firefighter and, you know, never looked back since. So for me, every day is gravy. In, in uh, October of 2000, I, I went on the line from dispatch and, you know, never thought I'd be sitting here as a chief officer, never thought I'd be a company officer, never thought I'd be a firefighter. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, perseverance in that story and, and a lot of just, dumbass luck and um you know it, it always takes a combination of both but a lot of good people put me where i am today and and i'm forever indebted to those guys so that is all i, I always whenever i talk to somebody especially someone who's been in the job for a long time it always comes down to and they always say the same not this exact same things but some combination of the luck and the mentors and the hard work you know and yeah. so it's always it's it, it's cool to see that uh formula that is easy to pass on and hopefully easy to emulate. Right. And, you know, and I think just real, real quick on that, you know, I, I know, and, and talking to friends, not everybody has, you know, has that luck or has that, you know, yeah, it's a hubris thing, right. Did I get where I am because I'm good, which is right. hubris or did I get where I am because I was lucky. You know, we were lucky to be born where we were born and, you know, and all the rest of it. So I just right time, right place, certainly a lot of effort and, um, and, and hard work, but, also, will always be humbled by the fact that, you know, a couple more points on a test or less, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting where I am, or, or, uh, you know, didn't get the job, or you know, bad question in the interview, or somebody yeah. didn't have a benevolent heart. So, I mean, there's just there's so many things that that you can do everything right, and and still just not quite make the grade, or not have the the coaching, the the mentoring, and everything else. So, you know, always always look back where you came from and remember those people because they, they helped you get there and then help the next guy up. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. And I can tell you this, you've, and I mentioned it in the intro, but, uh, helping the next guy up, your articles were, uh, a guidepost to someone you never met and me when I promoted, just so you know. So, uh, it's, and it's that, not just the guys local. So since you kind of, and I know we kind of said this is going to be loose, then you kind of open the door. Sure. So, you know, I, I, I look at even that aspect, right? So the people that I've met and, and social media is a double-edged sword, you know, that I've been in enough fist fights on social media that, um, that, you know, I finally come to the conclusion, you're never going to change anybody's mind. And as long as you can have a reasonable conversation, but the friends I've made, the people that I've connected with that I never would have connected with, you know, I'm, I was able to teach an indie because of guys that I met. I, I have a solid group of friends um, that, you know, we, we talk on a daily basis and all the guys that I teach with out there, but 
uh, you know, this all started way back when um, I was friends with Bill Carey. We had before before Facebook, and for some of you guys here, this may be foreign, but there was, you know, there were these forum websites, Firehouse Forum, and uh, I was a member of a group of guys called the it was called the International Association of Crusty Old Jakes, but nice. that was where I connected to Bill Carey. And we used to share thoughts back and forth, some FDNY guys on there, a ton of guys, a lot of information. And um, one day, you know, Bill was, was had his blog, The Backstep Firefighter. And one day I said, hey, you know, I wrote this article, Bill, what are you thinking? And we lost one of my, my first captain. That I lost him to cancer. Oh. And uh, after we'd lost another guy to, uh, to a brain tumor. And uh, it just was a cancer article. And I, I sent it to Bill and he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll run it. He threw it up there. And that was like one of the first things I wrote. And then he just gave me a place to have a voice and, um, you know, it caught on and what I had to say resonated with a bunch of people. I mean, you know, when I think about me having a voice, I'm like from little Tinyville, New England. Like if you look in Massachusetts, I'm about as far east as you can go. Um, I'm sitting less than a mile from the water right now and less than a mile from the, like the water going toward the Atlantic ocean toward France and, uh, real small town. Um, right next to the town I grew up in and you know, to think that I have any kind of national voice is just hum- very humbling to me because I never thought. So when I hear, you know, that my, my articles made an impact, I'm obviously I'm, I'm touched that they did. And, and it's great to hear that, but it's, there's that other surreal piece of me that says who the hell am I to even, right. you know, have this voice, let alone um, have people, you know, have it resonate with people. So it's kind of a cool thing. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's the way this world works and, you know, I'm lucky, lucky to be sitting where I am. Well, I'm glad you decided to join me and let me pick your brain. And, and so it's an honor for me. Uh, I'll catch you up here because we got comments coming at you. We got Justin Ide said, greetings, chief, fire by trade. Brian Brush, of course, said, my man. Uh, Scott Smith said, nah, because you love the job. I'm not sure what he was referencing there, but Dave, uh, fire by trade. Brian Brush, sorry, I always say, uh, Dave, the deep thinker, great voice of balance in the fire service for many years. And Jared Sergi chimed in and said, dang it, about to catch a flight. Love you, Chief. I'll watch it later. And hi, watching from Florida from Gigi Galasso. If I mispronounce any names, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, uh, uh, I'll do my best I can. I'll put it that way. That's my disclaimer. It's Fireman East, man. It's okay. It's Fireman East. There we just are. pronounce it like, it's, like it looks like. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with a very I – mean, we're already dipping into it, so this is already yeah. off to a great start. I'm going to start with a very broad question for you. And it's a theme that runs through a lot of your articles. In fact, it impacted me. Uh, Firehouse Vigilance itself, the motto is the never-ending fight against complacency. So basically, just talk about complacency and how you look at it in the fire service. So a great question, right? So it's um, – and this is something, you know, and, and I, I think something important that I share with everybody. Like I didn't – I wasn't – I didn't start the job this way. So, you know, I look back now and my view on complacency is a lot different than it was. I had my days in the recliner where, you know, that – and I got burned and I, you know, like everybody, I got burned um, because I didn't check the truck right or I didn't do something right. But um, it's uh, it's difficult sometimes to be maintain vigilance in uh, in a job when you're not doing the job. And I kind of was one of the comments I sent to you earlier today was, um, you know, when you're not going to fires, there's no relevance. Right. So it's like, well, why do I got to do that? Because, you know, we're not going to do that today. I'm going to spend the whole day in the ambulance or, you know, and then when you go into fires, you know, you, you, you can be good, but you cut corners or you, you take a shortcut and you keep doing those shortcuts and you kind of become complacent that way. So complacency kind of cuts both ways, kind of an overuse or an underuse thing. Like um, so trying to maintain that vigilance in, a, in, a, in an air in an atmosphere when you're not doing it on a daily basis for me was was huge. And that's something that I really. You know, I, I always worked on something every day, especially as I promoted up and, and after I kind of figured it out um, to improve my skills. So even if we weren't doing a, a company drill or a group drill, I'd always do something just to keep my head in the game, just to think about it. I used to, before I even was a firefighter, when I was dispatching, I lived about 20 minutes from where I worked. And I would use the drive to work just to do scenarios through my head. Nice, just nice. To, you know, just to kind of, well, what happens if this happens, this, this, no, this I'm, happens. Believe me, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so I, w- I would do that, and I think that that's, you know, I think that, and, I, and, and this is going to try not to sound like I'm egotistical here when I say it, but that's what separates the good guys from from the, the mediocre guys is the guys that really, and there are a lot better people than me than do it, but the guys that come into work 
and you know their sole focus is on getting better and and being better every day because you never know when when that moment's gonna you know when's gonna call on you and um i just shared a quote earlier while i was while i was waiting to log on from matt best um which if you've re- if you read his book thank me for my service it's it's off the chart. It's hysterical and and not a lot of seriousness in it. But one of the things he talks about, and I'm just going to paraphrase is um, I was right to that. He he focuses so much on his shooting because he said, you know, my shooting wasn't just for my well being; it was for my team's well being. And if if I, you know, he says, and I almost looked at it as um, uh, what was the word he used? Like uh, negligence. If I didn't, um, if I wasn't the best shot I could be. Nice. So I shared that quote and said, you know kind of like fine and pay attention this is this is how we should be coming to work every day because everything that we do somebody else it de- you know somebody else's life depends on it if you're not up to throwing ladders if you're not up to stretching the line or chasing kinks or doing all those things those are all going to come back and bite you and it's not just going to bite you it's going to bite the whole, the whole team yes yeah so so it's kind of a cool quote especially because it's about the only serious thing he talks about in the book so i, <laughs> right. I pulled that one out but um so yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, I mean, it's and I get it. It's hard, you know, and you're gonna have days when you come in and you don't do, you know, you're not a hundred percent, but you still got to do those basic things. You know, we've we've been burned um, with trucks coming back from the mechanics and and things weren't right. Guys didn't check to see the water was in tank. Guys didn't check that. Um, you know, we had one truck came back and they disconnected the the throttle module and never plugged it back in, Oof. and never found it out. You know, until a couple hours later. Um, nozzles not put you know we had hose testing done and nozzles not put back on you know all those little things because it's easy just to pencil whip the check sheet or make sure your scott's you know you know oh yeah it's in the seat it's fine right and then you find those things out you know it's from as simple as i mean i got burned one time forgot my helmet i left my helmet in the, in the other truck and we we used we jumped back and forth on the ambulance to the engine i grabbed my gear and left my helmet in the ambulance pull up to a fire and you know you got no helmet that's that's kind of hard to overcome and that's just, you know, that's complacency. That's just not paying attention to the big picture. No, uh, absolutely. And and the the stories you could probably swap. I mean, everybody here. I, I left mine on the front bumper of a truck one day, and the chief luckily was following us, stopped and grabbed it, and gave it to me at the fire we were responding to. And so he can grab everybody. <clears throat> yep. So. And I like that word you use, which is negligence, uh, or the word you quoted yeah. from Matt Best, which is if you're not yeah. doing the absolute best you can, then it is basically negligence. If you are not, and like you said, peaks and valleys, uh, percentages, you got to find yeah. a way to stay motivated on those days when you are not on the top. Yep. Yep. So, exactly. I love that. And, and the biggest thing is, is if you can find like-minded people. Right. So, right. And that's, you know, that's it. And there's going to be some days when, you know, depending on who you're working with and, and what's going on or whatever you, you go along. You know, you, you can't get anybody else to buy in. And some days you go out and you start doing stuff. And because you're doing stuff, other guys get motivated and, and jump in as well. So it's, you know, I think it's, you know, you have to be, um, you have to be comfortable stepping outside the box, pushing yourself, being uncomfortable. And you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to work with guys. We've all worked with them that, that aren't interested in, right. in putting one more inch of effort forward. And, you know, all you can do is, is do the best you can do and focus on yourself. Yeah, that might be the best advice. Uh, you know, I, I got accused one day uh, by my captain. Well, one of my captains said to me, he goes, you know, the problem is, is he goes, is you're trying to hold them to your standard. You're trying to, you know, hold people to your standard. And that was kind of took me a minute to understand that, you know, as, as a firefighter at the time. And I'm like, so what's wrong with that? But I'm, I was in no position to hold them to my standard. Right. So, you know, you can peer pressure them as much as you want, but you're not necessarily going to get the buy-in because you're not, you know, you don't have rank. And, you know, then as I got, as I promoted up, you know, I was trying to find that balance between, you know, not being, we're going to drill every minute of the day guy, but you know, we got, we got to get some drilling done. We're going to have some fun and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to live in the firehouse too. So. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, now I have a question on that. Did have you, Cause yep. you have promoted up through the ranks and now you've gone from, you've gone from probationary all the way to the guy with all the bugles. Hmm. And so. Stop it, Captain. What's that? Just stop it, Captain. <laughs> Short answer, stop it, Captain. Yeah. Uh, I can't argue yeah. with that. I have, I have an advanced degree in stapler management that I can uh, that I can fill you in on later, but no, it's uh no, I I've enjoyed every position I'm at, but yeah, it's it's there's a lot it, it just changes when you get mm-hmm. older and I'm further away from the trucks now and, and I'm not you know, I enjoy what I do, 
but I, you know, it's, it's why I like teaching so much because it gets me back into the, into the trenches. But anyway, so you were, your question. Yeah, basically it was, uh, on the balance between setting that personal example and holding that standard, you know, as you move up through the ranks, have you found a good balance for that? Yeah. And I, and I, so one of the things that, what I struggle with, um, Right. So now it's um, it's trying to find that balance and, and set the personal example and trying not to micromanage and doing it. Right. So for me, like that's that's kind of that a little bit of that sticky point is. If I if I. If I'm constantly on the, you know, my company officers, my shift officers, even the firefighters about doing certain things because it's my, you know, my feeling of my standard, the way it should be done, then, you know, it. The, the, the evolution of that is now micromanaging them. You know, I need, so for me, one of the big things I had to learn was, you know, the policies and procedures are out there and everybody knows what's expected. I'm very big and have always been very big. And this goes back to talk about reading, like if uh, any of Leo Stapleton's books, especially his, the ones that he wrote um, that were fiction. That's me. Sorry. No, no, I saw, um, I got the, year, the 30 years on the line in the commission over there. Ready. Yep. So those are the two ones that were nonfiction. Um, but he wrote a whole series of books that were fiction. It starts at FFOP, Firefighter on Probation, and goes all the way up through and essentially follows the guy. Okay. But he talked a lot um, in those. There's a lot of great points you can get out of those. But he talked, it was probably the first time I'd ever read about setting expectations. And he talks about um, it's a new company officer. He goes in the firehouse and, you know, as a lieutenant, and they go out on a call and, and, you know, nobody did anything that he wanted him to do. And he goes, you know, this went on for like, you know, two or three shifts. Finally, like the third shift, he's, you know, he kind of figured out, he's like, Hey, if anybody's going to get screwed doing this job, it's going to be somebody else, not me. So he called everybody in and he said, Hey, listen, this is the shit I want done. When, when you come to work, I want you to make sure your gears on the truck, your, your everything's ready to go. This is it. Bah, bah, bah. And the guys looked at him and said, yeah, we were just waiting for you to tell us what you wanted. Right. You know, so if you don't set the expectations, um, how can you expect them to follow them? But then the, then once, once you've set them, you kind of, you know, it's kind of like letting the bird out of the nest. You got to let them go and not, you know, be following them around the firehouse and making <laughs> sure. sure that everything right. is done. So there's a lot of times where, you know, I will, um, I will think about, you know, I'll have, I'll have the conversation in my head at home because I hear something that's not going the way I think it should or whatever, but then just take a deep breath and say, you know, if it's big enough deal, I'll find out about it. And if it's not, then I don't need to worry about it. And, um, but another book, I, I here's a book a lot, for you. A lot this of books. You put on your list. I know. I like about, it. Yeah. About face by, uh, uh, Colonel David Hackworth. Hackworth. Okay. Great book. But one of the things he's like, you know, the, the, he talks about in the military growing up and it's an army book and, uh, he joined the army at 15 and retired during Vietnam. And, uh, but he's like, you know, the, the unit only does well what the company commander checks on. So, you know, if you if you don't, if you're not constantly keeping your finger on everything and making sure without micromanaging, but just making sure that everything's going right, then, you know, how, how can you expect everybody to follow it? So it's kind of like, hey, this is what I expect. And this this is me showing I care without trying to, you know, lean too hard one way or the other. Just, yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The balance that 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 magical balance that's. Mm. Damn near and, impossible and it changes, find. right? So, you know, when I was a lieutenant, I was in charge of three people. When I was a captain, I was in charge of seven or eight people. You know, then I was deputy. I, you know, I was in charge of thirty-five people. Now I'm in charge of everybody. Um, but I, I'm really, I'm not. I work with them. You know, I look at more as a, it's more of a partnership. I rely so much on my company officers because because we're a small department. They they carry the message out, and it's it's critical that you know I need to explain to them. So we're going to go into another book. It starts with why Simon Sinek. There we go, right? Um, but it's, there's, there's a whole piece of that, right? Like people do, people need to know why they need to understand the why of what we do. And, and sometimes that's, you know, self-evident to you or, or, or to other people, but not to some people. So right. taking the time, set the expectations and then explain why this is what you want. Right. And, Sometimes it's just as simple as like, hey, listen, we got to do this or somebody's going to yell at me and I don't want to get yelled at. So sure. we're going to do this so I don't get yelled at. So then you don't get yelled at. So in, you know, but if people understand it and you can you have that opportunity, you may not change their mind on some things. They may be, you know, not agree with it. At the end of the day, you know, 
the things we have to do, we have to do and orders are orders and we're going to follow those. But when you get into that gray area, if you can make people understand why you want to do something that way and get that buy-in, oh, yeah. then, uh, then that's a home run. Awesome. Uh, I, from expectations to the, to the, the, I don't the start with why I don't know a better way to say it than the why. Uh, yep. yes. And then accountability all springs from that uh, while avoiding the micromanagement, right? <laughs> the perfect balance. All right. I'm going to catch us up here. Uh, we got, let me see what I've missed. Hi, watching from Florida. Uh, evening from the fire pit out back from Trenton Slattery. Garrett Tao said evening chiefs. First time catching the scrap live. Welcome Garrett. Drew Evans says that mustache is dreamy. So Drew, Drew's a good boy. Drew's one of the guys I teach with. Um, there you go. Solid, solid dude. He's uh, they're all all groups affectionately known as the D-Gen, so they'll all appreciate the the shout out. But um, it, they uh, good group of guys to teach with. I met Drew uh, two years ago when we taught out there, and and uh, just great guys. Those guys. So this is this is a story for you, and I okay. got to share it now. Now we now we went sideways. Here again. we go. Rabbit hole time. Um, so, you know, we're in the height of COVID, right? Everything's all shut down. And, uh, and my promotion ceremony was in July. So minding my own business Friday night, just finished mowing my lawn. I walk in the door. My wife's like, Hey, take your sandwich. We got to, we got to shoot down to East Ham. It's about a 20 minute ride. Uh, she made up some excuse. I don't know why we're getting in the car, do something for my mother. I don't remember what it was. So me, because I'm the most gullible human being, just like, <laughs> okay, fine. Get in the car, meet the sandwich. I don't give a shit. Pull up to this house in East Ham and, there's this group of people sitting around a fire pit. So I'm like, what are we picking up? And she's like, I don't know, something your mother got for you, whatever. I'm like, what's well, kind of awkward. These people are having like a cookout or, you know, they're sitting around their fire pit and we're just like crashing their party. Get out of the car. And the first person that I saw was Drew Evans. So these guys, all the guys that, that, um, nice. that I'm, I'm lucky enough to teach without an indie that, you know, that form this group that like I said, we talk every day, all these guys and their wives, um, secretly planned this whole trip and came up and uh, were there for my, my swearing in, which was, I, I can't, and I'm, I can't yeah. put it in the words. Yeah, I can't I put it in the words. I just great group of guys. Um, and really what the fire service is all about. And I'm blessed to, to call every one of them a brother and, and, and a sister and, and, you know, their wives are with them and I can't convince my wife to go cross town, let alone to travel to another state for somebody, you know, getting sworn in. So right on. Just, just an amazing thing. But that's what the brotherhood is too, you know, and that's makes his job so great. No, and it's moving too. And 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 your wife was really good at the. Well, it took a lot of subterfuge, uh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. She, she. <laughs> I could. I'm. She's one of like. I'll wake up someday. There'll be no money in the bank account. She'll be the one that pulled it off, and I won't know the difference. So it's. She's. Uh, but no, she she's good. She puts up a lot of crap for me, and that's you know that's another piece of it too is the whole family piece and and right. having that support is is critical. Awesome. All right, catching up, and then we'll move, then we'll move on. Uh, Todd Selkowski said, hi, Chief. Uh, yep. Take there he is. Another good boy. Jack Wilson, my man, Chief Dave LeBlanc. Uh, Marcio TXera said, hi, from Portugal. Corpo de Bombero, Cepedieros de Faro. Stay safe. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too badly. And so, and Todd Selkowski said, hi, Chief, first time on Facebook. Okay, so no questions yet, but a lot of greetings for you. So moving on. Nice. You sent me an email. Uh, when we first started talking about coming on the scrap and the list of topics you sent was amazing. So now what I'm going to do is basically draw from that email and just throw one word topics at you. Some of them we've already even touched on, but throw okay. one word topics at you. We'll see what kind of discussion we can generate. Again, anybody in the comments who wants us to dig deeper or has a question they want clarified, throw it at us and we will field it. Um, we'll see how many rabbit holes we can descend. So are you ready for the first word? Yeah. Fire it away, man. Mindset. Mindset. So... We talked about complacency. Mindset is is the to me the opposite of complacency. That's how you avoid complacency. So, blessed very early in my career, I did uh, much like you're doing now. There was but without video, there was they did these internet radio show type things and uh, you know blog talk radio kind of stuff. And very early on in my career uh, doing that, and this was after I had been blogging for a while. Um, I was fortunate to have Rick George on my show Yes, and Rick introduced me to Grossman and the whole mindset and the stress inoculation thing. And that, and that's changed so much now from what it was. And, and I can't even do it justice. It's, it's one of the pieces of, of this job that fascinates me, but I just, I haven't been able to put the time into it that I really should to, to be more uh, educated on it. But 
And Rick's gone down a whole great, he's doing great things with guys and, and building firefighter resiliency up. Um, but so kind of got us in the mindset thing. You know, we talk about, you know, the AFA mentality and going to work and, you know, going out the door and, you know, expecting that you're going on a real call or preparing like you're going on a real call. So I writ I wrote about it a bunch. Um, and so I'm sure you're familiar with the quote, the Andy Fredericks quote, the garbage man doesn't get excited when he comes around the corner and sees a pile of garbage. So Bill Carey, who is, I had talked about earlier where I started writing and, and was hosting my stuff, you know, this was in the, as the internet started to take off looking for hashtags, looking for the catchphrase. And he coined expect fire and it kind of came out of that Andy Fredericks quote. Right on. So, you know, right. So expect fire, right? Garbage man's not excited because he expects to see garbage. We should expect to see fire. Wrote about it a bunch and he kind of gave us that little tagline. And then um, fast forward a little bit further. Uh, there was a whole uh, discussion about victim survivability profiling. Right. Not my favorite topic. <laughs> um, wrote a lot about it. Um, had some, I've had some conversations with the author, um, on, on those, some of those type radio shows, they will, uh, people now will insist that it's, it's not about us not going in, but I, you know, one of the quotes I, I wrote a long time ago was, you know, size up is about what you can and can't do. Survivability profiling is what you will and won't do. You know, when you're telling me that based on the smoke conditions, everybody in the building be dead. So we should just kind of lay back and worry about putting the fire out and then go look for the victims. I'm not. And I know they've changed that, you know, it's come around like everything. It's, it's come around a little bit, but to me, it was, it was, it was the wrong mindset. It was the wrong mentality for us to have. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a little bit of run and joke. We around here, it's like every, every department, every area has a little phrases that they use. You know, like we used to have a one on medical calls, people say conscious, butt breathing. So it kind of became butt breathing, but it was, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, if, if they're not breathing, then that's a different call. So the same thing is like, you know, a local alarm with no smoke or no fire. Well, if there was smoke or fire, it would be a building fire. So, you know, it's kind of one of those, just those mindsets. And I don't, I hate it because it puts us in the mindset of getting in the truck, going out the door, thinking it's a bullshit run. Right. Thinking it's and, butt breathing. Yep, exactly. And, oh, and you know, so then you get there and you come around the corner and now this fire coming out of three windows for a, a local or a central station alarm because you said, ah, oh, it's just an AFA. And you're, you know, you're, you can't catch up from that. And, um, in, I did a lecture, um, about mindset. And one of the things I talk about is the squirrel run fire, uh, Coleraine township and no disrespect to anybody was there, but I, I actually talked to the, to a guy who was friends with somebody who was at the fire was on, on the line, the initial line where the two were killed, Boxerman and, and Shara. And, um, you know, the captain, when they when she got there, you know, had to get dressed because she just had her pants on because she'd been working out or something like that. So the driver did the initial interview with the occupant or the the homeowner, and just kind of behind the ball, like you know, when you're trying to do something fast and then you think, now I'm buying the eight ball, so then you try and do it faster, faster. and the faster you try and go, the slower you get. You know, to me, it's just that kind of mindset. So I just, you know, I I always when I got on the truck, I got on the right front seat, I was always dressed, you know, hood on, ready to go. And if I didn't need it, then it was easy to dress down. But if I did need it, you know, the point, and this is really just a stupid thing. I used to put my, I, I trained really hard to, to dress with my gloves on, you know, hood mask with my gloves on. Right. Because right. I put my gloves on as soon as I got in the truck, because if I didn't, I would forget to put them on inevitably and end up, you know, hurting myself or, you know, being somewhere where I should have had them on and didn't have them on. And if you take yourself out of the picture because your PPE isn't up to speed, the hood wasn't on. You know, if you, if you now can't do what you need to do because you got to get now you got to get dressed going back kind of back to the Matt best quote, you've, you kind of set the whole team up for failure. You know, now somebody else has got to pick up your slack because you're not ready to go right back to that negligence. No, and, and, and the dominoes yeah. falling the dominoes. You can always yeah the dominoes, the Swiss cheese, right? Yeah. Lining up the holes, you know, and hindsight, you know, and that's it's always tough on the on the looking backwards on it, but it always is. And so the the more of those potential dominoes you can take out of the equation, the better off. Uh, right. You know, when they start falling, if they start, there isn't a chain because you've taken some of the pieces out, hopefully. Right. You know, yep, exactly. it's a great. It's a good theory. Yeah. Emergency so get that vote. Yeah. So that's kind of the, that's the, you know, when you talk about mindset, that's kind of where I'm going for, you know, you should, you should go to work, expect them to go to a fire. And then if you're at a fire, you should expect that the 
that there's victims. That was the expect victims was a was a retaliatory uh, comment to the victim survivability profiling was, you know, we should be expecting that the house is occupied. And, you know, I know and you get into this and, and some of these and believe me, I live in small manpower departments, so I get we can't do everything at once. Sure. I don't have the, the luxury of showing up with a dedicated engine and truck, but we should be planning to search every building, even if the homeowner meets us in the front lawn and says everybody's out. They're nervous. They're jammed. Their house is on fire. They may not remember the little Timmy came home from his sleepover. They may not know. You know, you hear about the stories of the, the kid that's home from college and, you know, goes out for the night and the parents don't realize he came home and he's sleeping in the basement, sleeping, yeah. you know. So, you know, to me, it's it's empty when we say it's empty, when we go in and search it. And I this isn't a cavalier attitude. This isn't, um, you know, risking ourselves unnecessarily, but there's risk involved in everything that we do The our job is to manage that risk by training ourselves and preparing ourselves and then going in and doing the job that we're supposed to do. And that's putting the fire out and searching for victims. Hey. That's, so that's where those two things came from. Hey Amen. Expect fire, expect victims and get ready yeah. like it's so. So I was, I'll give you a quote and I sent it to you earlier, um, but I, I got to look it up. So I don't want to make screw it up. No problem. I know you have it, but so I was, I was, um, I was blessed last year that I, I got to go out to Montana and I, I, I did a, a hike in the Beartooth Ridge with a bunch of Navy SEALs, retired Navy SEALs. So it was a veterans uh, program. It's called the Eddie Filani Tadpole Foundation. And I became friends with them, still texting them back and forth. One of the guys, uh, Bobby Howells, a senior chief, and we were talking about this whole risk thing. This was actually happened on Facebook a couple of months ago. Okay. Bobby, Bobby, who's all his brothers and, and his father uh, were on the job in New York City. So he gets the family business. And he said to me, he goes, you know, our jobs are not to be safe, but to be effective and to do that as safely as possible. Nice. So I, that's like printed out and hung on my wall in my office because I'm, I could not agree more with that statement. That's that's 100% on point. That's what it is. You know, our safety doesn't come from avoiding risk. Our safety comes from preparing ourselves to do the job. And then embracing that risk without, you know, not talking about cowboy stuff. We're not talking about, mm-hmm. you know, taking unnecessary chances, but we need to take necessary chances. And at the end of the day, if we avoid risk, we're just transferring it to somebody else. No, and no one's saying being suicidal. And it always seems like they try to pigeonhole you into, uh, into that. Like, oh, you just, you, you, you know, yeah, it's not be a cowboy. I love a cowboy. Our job yeah. is not to be safe. It is to be effective. Yep. And, to, and what was the second part was to be as a so t- our job is not to be safe it's to be effective and to do that as safely as possible and to do that as safely i love that yeah i'm gonna have to use that and put it in a picture and who do i quote yeah. it to what, what was the name uh i'll send you I'll, I'll tell you what i'll do i'll i'll send you i actually made it up in like okay. a little thing it's got the uh the the buds symbol on the background because he's a, he's a navy seal and okay. i'll send it i'll send you the um the picture itself all right, I got a couple questions to throw at you here. Sure. Uh, all right, where are we at? Jake Dodge said, Chief, what – this is a big one, so just here we go. Chief, yeah. what do you have on changing and building a training culture? Movers and shakers, mutts, leaders. That's it. Holy crap. So yeah. Jake, Jake's a good boy. <laughs> Jake's, go. uh, he's, an, he's an actual boy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's not um, – culture change is, is – Nuts. And so I'm blessed, right? I'm blessed. I, I work in a department that has had a good culture as long as, as I've been there and, and from before. And we had a change into the guard and, you know, some of the guys that were um, less interested in, in being firefighters have moved on, um, you know, through retirement and everything else. But, you know, sometimes you change a culture, one person, one company, one shift at a time. It's just, I'm not an expert on culture change. All I can say is if you come to work with your set of standards and you work to your set of standards and, and hopefully you, you get to a point where you can influence some others and then you influence some others. And it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of explanation. It's a lot of, you know, your why it's, it's a lot of those things, but if your culture is bad above you, it's really hard that you're going to bump up against that ceiling and, and you're not going to, you're not going to fix that easily. No, um, all right. So that was his culture. What was it? Something about 
Uh, I will get back. Tell to no twenty-seven part questions. This isn't back to school. Yeah, we're firefighters here. You need A yep. and B max. No, uh, changing yep. and building a training culture, basically, and basically yep. the difference between movers and shakers, the mutts and the leaders. You know, and you've touched on some of it, but go ahead. So, yeah, so you know, this is like, um, and and this isn't meant to. So, you know, it's it's a hundred mile in a briefcase rule. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase know. before. Mike Dowling was the one that said to me the first time and and uh, and, it, and it's so on point. So I could go to your department and I could teach a class and you could come to my department and you could teach a class and teach a class. And it could be the exact same class And in your department. They the guys wouldn't even give you the time of day. They barely pay attention to you because they don't, you know, for whatever reason, because you're their guy. Sure. And in my department, they would think you were a prophet. You know, and and that's the hundred mile in the briefcase rule. You know, okay. that's what it takes to make an expert. This is what the the whole thing. Mile, you know, okay. How do you become an expert? Hundred miles in a briefcase. So, um, you know, the problem a lot of guys and, and we saw it. Like we had guys, they would take a class and then they come back from the class and they want to change sure. the entire department based on that one class. And then three days later, they go back to being the slug that sat in the recliner that they had been up until they took that class. You know, two weeks before. Right. So you. You know, I think it's just it's the same thing. You, you set your standard and you work to your standard and you hope that by by some synergy, you, you get some more people involved and more people involved. We. Um, so I've been a big fan of Aaron Fields for a long time and, and nozzle forward and everything else. And uh, they had a class down here in the, at the Barnesville County Academy and like eight people signed up from from my job. They all all went. This is when I was deputy. So I, I was like two day class, whatever training money. Don't care. Proved it all. I was like, all eight of them are going, want them to go. I know it's a great class. I went up, sat in through um, and hung around for most of the, the two days that they did. But out of that class, they came back and they changed. We changed our entire hose loads. Nice. We got a grant, uh, put smooth bore nozzles in place, nice. changed, changed our hose loads. And if anything, the, we, we stretched hose more, you know, from that point on, then we had ever stretched it in, you know, in my previous years with the department. So, you know, that was an opportunity and I won't take any credit for it because those eight individuals bought into it and wanted to make that change. Um, So I I facilitated it. Well, you you said yes. That's a big part is you did say yes, you know, and, and knew, and, and I guess had the, you know, the vision to know that what was, what they were going to was, was worthwhile to, to make these changes. Never thought it would end up where it did. Um, but yeah, we changed all the hose loads around, got those, the nozzle grant came in and, you know, now, now we, we have a much more better, uh, much more better, oh boy, <laughs> a, a, a much better, uh, water delivery package than we ever had. That's and, awesome. That is awesome. And, well, and go ahead. Sorry. I don't want to no, I just say, and it's, and it's purpose built, you know, it's not just, well, we're going to pull this nozzle and hope we get 150 gallons a minute out of it. It's, it's purpose built. We know what we're flowing. Our gauges are marked and, and everybody's dialed in. So that is that's awesome. some good stuff. And it's the direct result of sending those eight guys. And that's, uh, and when I say in saying yes, it's, it's, uh, John Spear and Tom Johnson, their book mindset, cause, which is funny because it's yeah. right on topic. They talk about the courage it takes for a leader to say yes because saying no is easy. It's easy to say yeah. no. No, you guys don't need that. No. I'd, I'd rather say yes than say no. I hate saying no. I love that. I love that. Don't tell anybody that, but no. I, you know, it's, you know, and you got to keep it in, you know, you got to keep it in the box. You got to make sure people stay in lane. But, sure. I, you know, we're, um, that's the one thing that we're working on now is just building up training and getting more training because, because experience is changing. So that to me, that's the, that's the only way we're ever going to fix that is by more training. Uh, Greg Wheeler said, Hey buddy, Scott Smith said, we need to do what we said we would when we begged to get on this job a few years in and we forget why we wanted to be here. Very good. Very solid point. And that's the complacency, man. Complacency is, is, is insidious. It is powerful. It is, it's there for, it's just waiting, calling your name every day. I promise. You know, uh, if you could, and I, I said this the other day, we swore on a new guy and I said to him, I'm like, you need to remember the drive and determination it took you to get to this point, to get the job. Remember that and bring it to work every single day when you come to work. Nice. You know, so if you came to work trying as hard at work as you did to get the job in the first place, you know, we'd all, we'd all be rock stars. You know, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a fire we couldn't fight, but it's, I get it. You know, it's, it's human nature. I'm not, I'm not, and I'm really not trying to be negative toward anybody with it. It's just, you know, that's to me, that's that commitment that we need to come in and yeah. And we all, and we all fall victim to it. Sometimes it's just snapping yourself out of it. Absolutely. 
the goal is is to find that consistency where you're maximizing the peaks and minimizing the valleys. I think, yeah. So, yep. I mean, right. they're they're going they're going to happen. There's no avoiding. Yep. But Agreed. life, hundred percent. And if you haven't hit them, then you just haven't lived long enough yet. <laughs> right. Uh, Garrett Toes said, "I don't, I don't. I hope I got your name right." Garrett Toes. I don't know if this is a mindset question, but my LT never bunkers up before leaving the station. Our LTs are also the drivers, and he never gives a size up and establishes command when we roll into a scene whether it's a fire alarm or a medical, how can I lead from below and convince him to take these basic actions on calls? There you go. Hey, so, so, so I'm going to start with the classic, I'm going to quote Bill Carey here again, is, is you do you. I mean, so that's, I think, the big problem of running the fire service. I think it's, I mean, this is social media and our political climate that we're in to a T, is that nobody has any tolerance for anybody else's views. So, I appreciate what Garrett's saying. I'm not saying that I have the answers for it. If you know, we, we, we've gone away from it now, but we used to, you used to have the option as a driver not to bunker up because right. guys complained that they couldn't drive as whatever. Now we've, we've made the switch where we've, we've indicated to people how important it is even the driver. And we usually run it. Well, we could be running anywhere from a two man engine to a four man engine, depending right. on, on whether the ambulance is in or everything else. But even on that four man company, um, having the driver bunkered up because he might be throwing a ladder. He might be, we might need to push him into service. Sure. Yeah. You know, worst case, worse, you know, I've taken the pump. I, you know, I've had to do things that I shouldn't have to do when I was in command because we just haven't had the bodies to get it done otherwise. So that being said, you know, it's a conversation Garrett and you can try and explain um, to your Lieutenant, you know, or at least ask, try and get his reasoning again, goes back to why, Maybe he has a reason that he does what he does. And and if you explain to him what, you know, what your concerns are or what you're trying to understand, maybe he'll change his thinking a little bit. Maybe it won't, but in, until you have the conversation, you won't know. And you have to have the conversation. I mean, that's, I, that's the one thing I've learned and I've learned more and more every day. I wish I'd spent more time in this young, when I was younger in my career is um, the difficult conversations, any conversation in people are such a big part of this job. This job is all about people. Yes. Whether it's the people we protect or the people we work with, it's all about people, but not just as coworkers, you know, it's really, it's understanding what drives everybody and trying to, you know, um, because we're all different, you know, so trying to understand that and then maximize everybody's bent, you know, their, everybody's potential while, while still getting the job done. And while keeping that balance and not micromanaging. So it's just, it's never in, it's the, it's the juggling at all. That's a great question, man. And uh, leading from the bottom, you, especially depending on how far on the bottom you are, you're pretty much left with your personal example. And, yep. and, and like you said, the communication, you have to have the conversation. That's, that's such a beautiful piece of advice for moving that forward. Because without it, you can't do it. Right. Uh, Jess Radzinka said, you touched on it earlier. How can you go about changing the culture from the bottom? But then he came back and said, never mind, you touched on it. Thanks, brother. Looking good, by the way. And that was from Jess Radzinka. Uh, Scott Smith, there is so much truth to that. 100 miles in a briefcase. Uh, Ryan Novak said, speaking of changing culture, what advice do you have for increasing morale? We've had horrible morale spread over our department like a plague over the last 15 years and continuously infects the mindset of new guys. These are some some heavy hitter questions here coming at you, Dave. You know I was going to have to work tonight, man. So... Morale is, is a huge question and, and not, it's not an easy, uh, it's not a, like, there's not a, Oh, if you just do this, then morale is fixed. So to Ryan's point, I will tell you that, um, it, it, it starts for him. I know, and I know, I know Ryan. So he's a okay. uh, captain in uh, new Britain, Connecticut. Um, it's, you know, it may just be your shift, Ryan, that, that you're going to affect. So I, I had a good friend who was a deputy chief, um, not far from me and went to college with him. And they had a horrible morale problem in their department and finally got to the point where his, his, his deputy pulled him aside one day and said, listen, you need to just focus on your shift. So he called it the Island of group four and that was all they worried about. So when the guys, you know, he'd walk into the kitchen table and the guys would be bitching about everything that was going wrong. Chief did this, a shift did this, blah, blah, blah. He'd just pick up the newspaper to go. So how'd those Red Sox do last night? And that was his cue to everybody at the table to stop trying to eat everybody alive. Let's just focus on what we're going to do. So he he realized really early on the only thing that he could impact was his group. So he impacted them 
in a positive manner, set the tone in a positive manner. And then that, you know, that kind of builds on itself. And, and, you know, you, you, Ryan, you know, as, as, as the, as a captain, you may be able to affect more than one shift and, and you can try to kind of try and set the tone, but again, you're going to have to get your buy-in from the, your lieutenants from the other shifts and just kind of keep building that up. So it's not, that's bad morale is not an easy thing to fix. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of, again, go back to communication, listening, you know, it's, it's something that I always want to know how everybody's doing. I want to know what's going on, you know, because, because again, it goes back to the people, right? It's the people that make the place work. And the thing I always want to, on morale, and I'm going to tack on to what you're saying here, if you don't mind, yeah. which is uh, absolutely Chief Scott Thompson down at the call, and he wrote his book, The uh, Functional Fire Company, unbelievably good book on culture building. And yeah. he is, his talk is all about you have to build the culture on purpose. Otherwise, you're left with what is accidental. And so yep. uh, it's such a great thing, but he talks about la- allowing people to drift towards failure. And I, I can't go into all of it real quick, but basically there, usually with morale issues, there is something that has broken down in the past to where those there's a group that no longer feels like they have any control. And so they start making up their own narrative for why things are the way they are. And it's so hard to rebuild that trust and get them back on board to quit ripping apart this from the inside out. And it's such a right. long process. So anyway... Uh, yeah, it's cancer. I mean, it's really, it's yeah. a cancer. It's, you know, and, you know, you don't understand, right? This is something you don't understand. So this is like, great. My, this is not going to be my mother advice now. This is my mother's advice. Here we go. Okay. We're going full ago, right? spectrum. Yeah. So my mom, my dad was, was direct. Um, I would almost go as far as saying blunt and to the point, right? He didn't mince words. You knew where you stood. The second the words came out of his mouth, right on. my mother, um, is not like that. My mother will beat around the bush till, till the cows come home. So I'm, I'm a balance of the two of them. I'm probably uh, more like my mother than my father, okay. but I have the ability to be just like my father. And so I, whatever it is, I am who I am. I can't sure. change either one. But my mom said to me one time, she said, you know, a great way to convey to people something without making an attack is to say, you know, when you say that or when you do that, it makes me feel like this. Because now I'm not saying, hey, you're an asshole. Right. I'm saying, hey, when you do that, it makes me feel like that. And that offers perspective, right? And that's, you're putting yourself, I'm putting you, by me saying that to you, Corley, I'm, I'm putting you in my, my eyes. I'm making you see the world through my vision. And that at least, if you're a normal human being, should give you pause enough to say, well, geez, I don't want to make you feel like shit. I was just trying to say that, you know, we need to do this better. And maybe you can retool how you interact with people and everything else. And so that was like a great piece. And I use it all the time. All that, the, yo, that that's was, beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's, that's mom, right? So mom, mom made me successful in that one. I mean, at least, at least it gives you, it, it creates a dialogue and lets other people know how you you know, how you're feeling. You doing this made me feel like this. Cause yeah, it's better yeah, than saying you're right? fuck, you're being I'm not, a yeah, dick. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're a jerk. <laughs> right. Why am I a jerk? Well, cause you did this. No, right. I'm saying, Hey, when you do that, I feel like this. You make me feel like crap. Oh, okay. I won't do that anymore. Thanks. Awesome. We got be the example. Your day will come. He was replying to Garrett. That was Todd Szyzowski. Uh, Jess, I think there are some, you will never change. You just have to grab one person at a time. That is great advice from Marco Assome. Uh, Mark Davidson said he will check it out tomorrow. I, uh, I, I'm not sure what that was. Okay. Uh, Marcio TX here said, I call that firefighters toxic active. Uh, replying to Jess, Jess Rosinka, our buddy summed it up the best. Keep pushing, stay motivated, and don't listen to the mutts when they bark. Send it. And, of course, Brad Clark. So everyone can take that and carry it with them. And remember, there are plenty of rock stars out there. So it's catching you up. Here's the next question. Uh, it's from Hannah Elliott, and she said, Chief, you've brought up Simon Sinek. If you're familiar, what do you think about the performance versus trust scale he learned from the SEALs? It is about capitalizing the human element compared to being battle ready. So, and and I've read a lot about it, and, and I'm probably not going to, I don't know if I can't say as I've read 100% on that from him, and a lot of books, books blur together. So, sure. But from what I remember and recall about it, you know, the seals value, you know, you need to be able to do your job, but it's more important that, and, and like they, this, the, even FDNY talks about it, like 
they talk about like a, the highest compliment you can ever be paid is the guy was always in position. So you don't necessarily need to be the most outstanding shooter or the most outstanding swimmer or, or whatever your skill set is, but you need to always do the job correctly. You need to always be in position and, and, uh, and do it right. And that's more important. So, you know, we, we talk about just to kind of equate it to the fire service. I'd rather have a guy with heart that that's a little less skilled than have a guy that's very skilled. That doesn't give a crap right on because the guy with heart will always try his hardest and that trust, you know, you need, you need to be able to trust people. And if you can't trust somebody's going to be where they're supposed to be and try their hardest, they may fail. And you know, that's, you, you they have to at least hit a minimum standard, obviously, but, um, so I think that that's what the you know the 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 seals at least in my understanding of it when the seals are talking about it, is you know you can have the most battle ready person in the world but if nobody trusts them then what's the point? What's the point? You know, you know you look at you know Band of Brothers right? You look at the when the NCOs all resigned, yes, um, over Sobel right over Sobel. Sobel knew what it took. Well, they I think he built the platoon out of hate, but um, right. But he knew what it took to build a soldier, to create a soldier. But unfortunately, he didn't have the skill set going forward to lead them into battle. And they all recognized that. And they, so that trust was missing. Right. Trust is, you know, what are they, what's it? Easy, uh, easy to lose and hard to win back. And, you know, and, and all the, and it, it's such an integral part of everything else. You know, it's uh, oh, Ray yeah. Pfeiffer, God rest his soul. Um, good friend of mine was on 40 engine, New York City, uh, died of 9 11 cancer. But, you know, Ray used to always say, you know, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. You know, that's that was kind of his mindset. And when he took on the Zagoda bill and, and and fought on Capitol Hill for those guys for the benefits, it was in his mind doing the right thing. And it wasn't because everybody was watching. It's because it was the right thing. That's awesome. Kind of segue there. Sorry. No, no, it's a good segue, man. Uh, <laughs> between Brad Clark and now Ray Pfeiffer, we're touching. We're yeah. going. Uh, like I said, if this is the weekly scrap, it, it should be called rabbit holes. So, right. but, but I'm good with it, man. It's, this is quality. And I mean, I can't, I, you, now you, you're getting a glimpse inside my mind right now. You know how I wake up in the morning. I, I take it. I take it. And we're sharing no. it. That's the best part, man. So Matt Foster, I was just going to bring that point up. I think it's a great thing for reference. Awesome. Uh, moving on. Uh, you talked on Grossman readiness, training service, doing our job, expect fire, expect victims. I mean, we've touched on a lot of this stuff. I want to yeah. ask you about the state of the pendulum kind of, we touched on it and the quote, that you, uh, one of your posts, it was the over safetyfication of the fire service. And do you think, uh, because of work by you and others like you, aggressive fire, just, just the, the mindset, do you think the pendulum has started to swing backwards? So I won't take zero credit for this. Um, but I think that what, you know, what we're seeing with, with where training is gone now and, and the message gone out there and, I'm going to preface this. This is not a UL slam, but I'm going to speak negatively about the research, not the research itself, but the tactical piece that came out of it. And I think to me, that was like the pinnacle. That was when the safety pendulum got pinned all the way to the, you know, uh, vertical ventilation was bad. Um, VES was bad. Going inside the fires was bad or, you know, was, was good as long as you sprayed water through the window first. And I know there's people out there going, that's not what we said. That's not what we said. No, but there was a lot of information that was twisted and manipulated by people that, um, for whatever reason, I, I'm, sure. and I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't think there was any malintent with any of this. I think that as a human form, our bottom line is we go to what we're comfortable with. And to some people that was their skill set, that's what they were more comfortable with. So it was easy to embrace it and grab onto it. But that was when, the, to me, when the pendulum got, you know, pegged all the way there. Sure. And then there was a lot of pushback. There were a lot of people, you know, a lot of cry saying, you know, human cry saying, this is, this is wrong. You know, sure, outside water works. We all know that it works, but not in every case. And there's sometimes we're going insides better. And then they did the victim study and then they did the nozzle study and then they did the, you know, all the, they kept adding on to that. And I think that the spent, the pendulum has swung back around. I think that, you know, there's a lot of guys, uh, Ray McCormick, Kurt Isaacson, um, Aaron Fields, 
and I'm missing a million guys. Right. And that's always the trouble when guys. you start listing. Yes. I know. Exactly. Yes. As soon as I start down the name, uh, start down the rabbit hole, you know, Bill Gustin, Rick George, you know, all guys that, that grabbed onto and said, no, this is, this is the right way to do this job. And it goes back to, you know, the Bobby Howell quote of, yeah, we need to be effective and then safe within that effectiveness. Right. You know, you know, to that point, if you go to every fire you go to, you you uh, you take a risk avoidance posture. You become tentative, and if you're tentative, you're less safe than you than you would be if you weren't tentative, right? Because because by default, tentative you're 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 concerned. You're 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 um, scared. Isn't the word I'm looking for? Timid. But timid. Yeah, exactly. So, but if you think all of a sudden that you're going to be in a hallway. And, you know, with taking this risk adverse profile and here's somebody screaming for help at the end of the hallway and you're going to crawl under fire blown out of a room door to get to that person because um, all of a sudden, you know, you, you this, you know, you're going to pull open your shirt and the Superman's going to come out. Right. Gonna, it's not going to happen because it takes the experience of having been there before and being in a hot hallway and knowing how much heat you can and can't take that. That all that comes from experience, and that all comes from pushing the envelope a little bit, not you know, not to the extreme, but putting yourself in a risky situation to the point where you can accept that risk and you know what you can and can't do. You may not be able to push past that doorway, or you may be able to, but you're not gonna know if you've never done it, and then all of a sudden you're put in the situation when you have to do it. To Grossman, Grossman says, you know, the time a police officer needs to decide. When, when he pulls his gun and points at somebody that's going to kill them, it's not at two o'clock in the morning when he's pulled the gun out and pointed at the person. He needs to have had that thought process long before that right on. to make sure that mentally he's prepared for what's going to happen and the consequences that come with it. And if he doesn't do that, he's going to end up being that police officer you read about, gets his gun taken away from him and gets shot. Right on. I had lived that last part, but everything else was grossing up into that point. No, it's a great encapsulation of Grossman. So perfect summary. But uh, I told you, I, I told you, I'd work it in. It was just a matter of where. Just a matter of where and when. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, I, one of my favorite quotes. Muhammad Ali talks about. I, I won this fight long before I danced under the lights. You know. Uh, right. I love that. So Pele, right? So talk about mindset, right? We'll, let's go back to mindset for a sec. But you realize that Pele played the entire game in his head before he ever went out there. So he'd get in the locker room wow. an hour before the game. He would lay on the bench, close his eyes, and he would. And visualization is a big part of what Rick George teaches. But he would visualize himself running out, being introduced at the beginning, and he would visualize himself scoring the winning goal and putting his arms up in the air. and And he would visualize the whole game from the first kick to the last goal. And he would and he would always visualize it as a victory. And nice. and that he credits part of that is is why he was so successful as as a soccer player. So, you know, to that point, you know, it's it, Muhammad Ali, right? He fought the fight before he ever got in, the, ever ring. Got in the ring. Yeah, the visualization, the mindset. I mean, we've come back full circle. Right. Right. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, so I've got, uh, I always like to ask my guests if they have books that they think firefighters should read. And I so, six of them. Right, I think we've one? got a lot. So thank me for my yeah. service with Matt Best, uh, Leo Stapleton's fiction series. Yeah, the Hackworth about Faye, Simon Sinek. Yeah, right. if I had to say one right there, Hackworth is, is, is it's a great one. read. It's a huge book. But there's more leadership lessons in that book than than any anything else I've ever read. Okay. Well, no matter what, and it's written as a good story too. So it's a good story. So you kind of you get them by accident. You know what I mean? And that's the hardcore recondos and all that, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. I have not read it yet, so that'll be a good one. And 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 every time I have now this is oh, six one two three yeah six of them. Every time I read I do a scrap, I get a more books added to my yeah. pile of books I have to read. So. Right. You did your part for sure with throwing six of yeah. them on there. Luckily, I, I got start with why and on combat. I've got those yeah. down. So um, perfect. Now on the weekly scrap, we do five five questions for firefighters. So the uh, points are arbitrary, and it's completely up to you on your answers. It's strictly the world according to Dave LeBlanc. Are you ready, oh, sir, boy. for the five questions for firefighters? Sure. And, and Gary, I didn't study. I want to say Gary Lane uh, actually knocked it out of the park. He, he was one of the best answers I've ever received. So. Uh, that was a couple weeks ago. Of course, of course, Gary did. So that guy's a character, man. I love him. Uh, here we go. Question number one: What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? 
Not enough fires. Sorry. Because you ever notice that morale's better when we go to fires? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Stuff gets done when we go. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's what we, you know, and, it, and it's, 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 that's kind of a flipping answer. Um, you know, I've always, always said that, you know, I don't want anybody's house to be damaged, but I want to be there, you know, when it happens. And that's, I think, I think that's the mindset of, of most guys. So hundred yeah, percent. That's, but that's the problem. We don't, we're not doing, we're not practicing our skills enough. Not enough. They say in the football, you know, winning fixes everything. When the team's dysfunctional, yep. I'm like fires fix everything. Yep. But obviously, like you said, you don't want someone's house to burn. Number two, right. what right. is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? I, that's a good question. I think that um, I think that I'm most excited to see some kind of practical application of the technology into into firefighting. I think that you know, when we get to the point where, uh, where our mask is a heads up display that, you know, instantly becomes a thermal imager that we can go through and, and we can work in it in a zero visibility environment with, with reliable, you know, um, vision, sure. you know, that those types of things, you know, better communications, you know, all those things. I think we're getting there. I, I don't think we're there yet and it may never happen, but, um, cause other than that, I think it's, you know, firefighting, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a brute force and ignorance kind of thing. It's, doesn't require a lot of technology to do it, but if we can enhance, enhance it, yeah, enhance it with it, then it, it you know, that's, that's probably what I'm most excited for. What was the quote? Brute force and ignorance. Brute like force that. and ignorance, man. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay. Question number three, best yep. rank or position to hold. And we already touched on it in the fire service. Yeah. So I, it, you know, I say that facetiously. I, it depends on what you want to do. I feel like I had the most fun and able to impact the most as a captain. Uh, the way my department was set up, sure. four captains, four shifts. So you're in charge of the shift. You kind of had your own personality of your group. Um, you had the administrative responsibility of seven other people, and you had a lot of input into how the department was run, but you didn't have a lot of the, the bureaucratic nonsense that comes with um, being, you know, being that next step up. So you know, I became deputy, now I'm responsible for everybody, you know, policies, procedures, budget, you know, all those things. Um, so the captain was definitely like the highest amount of responsibility with the least amount of responsibility, if you know what I mean. The perfect, yeah. That makes sense. So, oh, absolutely. Um, but I gotta be honest with you, I mean, you know, I've loved every rank that I've been in because every every road is different. Every road is different. I mean, we're all in the same we're all in the same car, but it's a different it's a different view depending on where you sit. So um you know, I've only been chief since July, but, um, you know, so far this, this road is, is awesome. You know, awesome. We're, we're, we're doing some good things and, um, just keep pushing forward. Good, good. And I think being plugged in has a huge difference on that on every, every level. Yeah. It's, I definitely try and spend as much time as I can without going overboard, but with the troops, you know, coffee, you know, once or twice a day, you know, just different shifts, just, Get the just see what's going on. Got at least just to keep a track of the nicknames and the jokes, you know. You sure. got at least at least find out what's <laughs> going on there. Uh, no, question four: best advice you have ever received. So the best advice I had ever received. So this this is actually kind of funny, but um, we used to have a, a lieutenant, and when I grew up, this was in, a, in the first department I worked on, and he was kind of like the the sour guy, you know. Everybody, but he had some wisdom. And now I look at it thirty years later, and I'm like, man, that guy was on point. So. His, his three pieces, Sammy's three pieces of wisdom were never pass a hydrant, stay off the radio, can only get you in trouble. And the worst thing they can ever make us do is what we were supposed to be doing in the first place. And I nice. think that that's the one. That's the one that, you know, and he kind of said it, you know, kind of facetiously, but it's true, right? The worst thing that you can ever do in this job is what you're supposed to be doing in the first place. So if that's your default mindset, everything else is easy after that, you know? I like that one. The worst thing yeah. is what we're supposed to be doing. I probably had better pieces of advice, but those have hung around with me. Those ones have stuck with you? Yeah. And finally, the final question. Question number five. You have heavy fire and tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? I'd rather the nozzle. The novice job. And I love being tri- I love doing truck work. And, and that's why I love all parts. And my department's great because you know, we don't have a dedicated, so I could go out the door on the engine, the truck, the ambulance. It didn't matter. So... 
we always got to mix it up and I've gone to fires in the engine and done truck work and I've gone to fires on the truck and done engine work. Sure. Um, and I think that's the but, bulk of the American fire service probably. But yeah, the, yeah. I, I, I would, I would agree that that's so, but yeah, if I, if I had the chance, I, I want to make the push. Nice. All right. Max points always. Dude, I, I, nice. I love the, I love the answers. Um, Thank you for doing the five questions for firefighters. I love asking it and getting all the answers. Uh, what else you got going on uh, coming up for you? I know it's been, I mean, 2020, how crazy can one year be? I don't want to even say it out loud because I don't want it to yeah. challenge it. But So uh, right now the only thing that's coming up in my future um, is hopefully Indy next April. Um, we got we got rolled forward. So Coolie uh... Moore chiming in here. The internet actually crashed at the tail end of the scrap. And so the ending of uh, the little outro got cut off as I talked to Dave about what he had coming up. And mainly it was FDIC in 2021. He's excited about that. And so that was the end of the scrap. Thank you, everybody, uh, especially Dave, for being such an unbelievably good guest. All the viewers were fantastic. I look forward to seeing you on the next one. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.